millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. He konai purangi te nei na te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Don Hutchings could really do with a nap. After more than a decade on the job, he's just finished his final telethon. Auckland Town Hall last night has Telethon 85 wound up with a record $6 million plus for the Child and Youth Development Trust. For organiser Don Hutchings, it was his last telethon and an emotional experience. I'm a bit shattered, actually, I must say. I, I, I don't know what to say and what can you say after an event like that, a moment like that. In the 70s, he helped introduce the fundraising marathon to New Zealand and he's been known as Mr Telethon ever since. Telethon is all based on three million people all doing the same thing at the same time. But Don doesn't have time for a nap. He has just nine days to prepare for a broadcast much bigger than anything this country has seen before. Kia ora, I'm Katie Scotcher and on this episode of Eyewitness, the story of Live Aid and the team of New Zealanders who broadcast the music marathon here. Michael Burke was a reporter for the BBC and had been covering the Ethiopian famine. In 84, he filed a story about the crisis like he'd done many times before. Dawn, and as the sun breaks through the piercing chill of night on the plain outside Coram, it lights up a biblical famine now in the 20th century. This place, say workers here, is the closest thing to hell on earth. All around the world, people were glued to their screens, watching as aid workers chose which children would live and which would die. The desperation, death and devastation was so hard for us to comprehend. Relief organisations like World Vision were doing all they could, but the situation was just so dire. So how did Ethiopia get to this point? Let's jump back to 1981 for a moment. Ethiopia was ruled by a communist dictator, Mengistu Haile Mariam, whose reign, in short, was horrific. On top of that, ongoing droughts and failed harvests meant there was next to no food. And if you thought things couldn't get much worse, the country was in the middle of a civil war. Come forward to 1984. Irish rocker Bob Geldof saw the BBC News report and was desperate to do something. But realistically, what could he do? Geldof recruited his mate Midge Ewer from the band Ultravox. The pair knuckled down to write a charity single before they'd even formed a group to perform it. That was Geldof's job. He set out and carefully crafted a group of some of the biggest names in pop music. Phil Collins, Sting, Boy George. You've certainly heard that song before. It's been played on repeat every Christmas for the past 34 years. I won't tell you how I feel about that, but at the time, Band-Aid's single was the biggest song in the world. It reached number one in 13 countries and managed to cling to the top spot in the UK for five weeks. 
And because it was so popular, the money started to pour in. It raised millions, and the money was put towards food and supplies for Ethiopia. But in this interview with the BBC, Bob Geldof remembers when he realised that aid wasn't getting very far. It wasn't moving, because a cartel operated within the docks of trucks, and they were charging a ridiculous price to shift the food. And I said to someone, well, you know, there should be an alternative fleet of trucks. And they said, there isn't one. How much does that cost? Well, three and a half million pounds, and it needed to be raised quickly. Geldof's solution, a large benefit concert that would be held simultaneously in two cities, Live Aid. In New Zealand, Don Hutchings had been quietly fundraising for the Ethiopian famine for some time. He was producing a two-hour programme called Children in Crisis that ran weekly on TVNZ. So when Geldof's team came knocking on the state broadcaster's door asking if they'd like to broadcast Live Aid, the bosses said yes. Then they turned to Don. Well, I'd read all about Live Aid and I knew about it and what have you. So I got in contact with Brent and so we devoted nine days to working together to put the, uh, put the production together. Brent was Brent Hansen, who at the time was directing Radio With Pictures. He was roped in to direct the broadcast. It seemed to be something I could do, and I loved live broadcasting. I had no idea how complicated it would end up being, but it was, <laughs> it was something I was, I was ready to do, and uh, I felt you know, it was exciting. Remember, they only had nine days to get ready for Live Aid, and the concerts were going to be huge, beamed through 13 satellites to more than 100 countries. That almost seemed impossible back then. Brent was tasked with the technical side of things, setting up the live feeds from Wembley Stadium in London and JFK Stadium in Philadelphia. On the day, a panel of well-known New Zealanders would chat between the acts and encourage people to donate. It was Don's job to sort that out. He also had to keep rearranging the running order as more and more artists decided to take part. Dire Straits, The Who, Elton John and David Bowie in London, Madonna, Duran Duran, Led Zeppelin and Eric Clapton in Philadelphia. It was a dream lineup and a nightmare to organise. We kept getting different rundowns and what have you, and we were looking for spaces and trying to fit stuff in and so on and so forth. Anyway, it all got prepared. They all got broken down into pieces. They all got put into um, an order. It was crunch time. We knew what we were going to be saying, how I was going to be queuing them in to talk and how to take them out. Uh, I knew that as soon as a piece of music would happen, I would be able to bleed that music in underneath the presenters in the studio and then cut to the pictures once they'd, um, they'd thrown. So that all seemed pretty straightforward. But just minutes before things kicked off, Brent realised something wasn't quite right. The pictures that we were seeing, the test pictures before we went on air, and the outside broadcast fan in London were completely different. Without getting too technical here, TVNZ was broadcasting the concert in Philadelphia, and Brent was meant to receive word from London telling him which act was on stage next. But instead, he was being told what acts were on stage at Wembley. So the 16-hour-long game of Guess the Band began. Ladies and gentlemen, Television New Zealand presents the world's largest ever rock concert. Brought to you live on a worldwide satellite link. Featuring the world's top artists who are donating their time and talent to give hope to the people of Africa. Ladies and gentlemen, the Live Aid Concert. 
We were live on air, we were discussing what was happening, and then suddenly a band appeared on screen, and uh, we were so, you know, obviously unsure who they were, and it was a band called The Hooters, who none of us had ever heard of. I had to guess what was happening next. As soon as I recognised who the artists were, I would tell the, uh, the presenters in the studio, and then we would cut to the pictures as soon as we could. Despite that, Live Aid was underway. watching at home will remember the music, while Brent remembers the technical glitches that almost ruined the entire thing. There was a lot of pressure on a particular repeater station in America, I think in Pittsburgh, and the power went down regularly. So there were times where in the middle of performances where everything stopped and we had to go straight into the studio and busk it until we got the feed up again. In the studio, the presenters had to be ready to go live at any moment. This was all new to Murray Kamick, who was the editor of New Zealand music magazine Rip It Up. There didn't seem to be a lot of warning before sort of breaks, and obviously there were super um, professional presenters there, such as Tom Sharplin and that, and they as pro entertainers were um, some of the best people to be doing the links between the uh, broadcasts. And it seems the presenters had no idea what was happening behind the scenes. Brent would have kept that quiet, really, <laughs> probably. Only his, <laughs> only his technical staff would know why. I, I was certainly not aware of anything breaking down. All I was aware of was the process was a bit unpredictable. Part of Don's job was to produce small video clips about the Ethiopian famine to encourage donations. These played between performances, but also when the equipment in Pittsburgh failed. One of them, which um, to this day I, um, I was reluctant to play, but when, when I did play it, the boards lit up, it just went mad. There was a woman who had had twins. And she had to give up one of her children. Must have been really hard to see that and have to, you know, work in a professional way yeah. and, and see that. And I, I quite, I, <coughs> excuse me, I question the ethics of it. But uh, we felt that the greater good mm. prevailed, and uh, I think we only played it twice in the show. <coughs> the public related to it very well. But there were so many scenes in that thing that oh, it broke her heart. Back in Wellington, the end of the music marathon was slightly more low-key. 
After 16 hours, the emotional toll of the day was setting in. When the telethon finished, there were all sorts of people hugging each other and, and there was a dancing going on and there's all sorts of things happening. And um, the studio is alive with, with joy and laughter. At the end of uh, Live Aid, there was no applause, of course there's no audience, so there's no applause, there's no nothing, there's just um, a dozen people plus um, the people who worked on the show went up to the green room and there was a lot of tears actually. Mm. Don and Brent couldn't predict how much money would be raised that day but they knew New Zealanders were generous. Just nine days earlier they'd raised six million dollars during Telethon 85. Pretty impressive considering New Zealand's population at the time was just over three million. But Live Aid was different it wasn't about entertainment, having a good time and raising money for charity. Live Aid was about saving lives. New Zealanders have pledged more than $4 million to the African Famine Relief as part of a worldwide rock concert. Live Aid was staged over the weekend. That story on RNZ's Morning Report was broadcast the day after Live Aid, when donations were still being counted. The final sum of money was much bigger. I think in the end, when everything came in, it was 5.8, which made us number three in the world. <laughs> it's interesting because that meant we've taken the best part of between 11 and 12 million out of the economy in 14 days. And not everyone was happy about that. I got a call from a um, supermarket operator and he said, Hutchings, don't you dare ever do that again. <laughs> Our take in Auckland alone is down a million and a half. Live Aid raised roughly 127 million US dollars for famine relief, but by July 1985, the hunger crisis and famine in Ethiopia had been going on for as long as four years, and it's estimated more than a million people died as a direct result. Live Aid was an opportunity for people to give collectively on a scale no one had seen before. And Don Hutchings isn't sure it'll ever happen here again. People are struggling much more these days to, um, to find a few extra shillings um, to cover off events of this nature. I mean, the, you know, the whole social fabric is, is different today, um, which is very sad because um, those New Zealanders, I'm sure, have not just disappeared. I'm sure they're still there but they're just not able to be as generous as they used to be. But according to the Charitable Aid Foundation's most recent report, New Zealand is the third most generous country in the world. A giving New Zealand report from 2015 shows Kiwis gave almost $3 billion that year. And just over half of that was made up of personal giving. So as a country, we're clearly still very generous. We just don't do it as big groups. And it might just be the way people give that's changed. Think websites like Give a Little and GoFundMe. Donating to causes is just so much easier now. You can donate money or sponsor a child at the click of a button. Broadcasting has changed over the past 30-odd years too. We now have more than two TV channels, and the last New Zealand telethon aired a few years after Live Aid. Although there have been one or two attempts at revival since. Here's Brent Hansen. There are so many different ways in which you know, large events have to, to become a lot bigger and better every time. You have the Olympic Games and World Cups and 
those sort of events which happen all the time and which are the, really are now the big net-locked moments when everybody is focused on one particular broadcast. Brent Reckon's audiences at home have lost interest in music shows like Live Aid. Music doesn't garner the same ratings appeal and I think it's harder to harness it in the same way because most major artists have some kind of charitable aspect in which they're involved in. But, you know, I think these events would happen, you know, given the right moment. This episode of Eyewitness was produced by me, Katie Scotcher, and engineered by Rangi Pollock. The executive producer was Justin Gregory. Thanks to Nataonga Sound for the archival audio. You can subscribe to Eyewitness at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Radio Public, and of course at rnz.co.nz forward slash series. Do give us a rating so it's easier for others to find out about us. If you want to hear more stories like this, check out RNZ's Black Sheep series. William Ray delves into the shady, controversial and sometimes downright villainous characters of New Zealand history. Thanks for listening. Ma te wa. Here at RNZ, we want to continue to deliver independent, high-quality content for all New Zealanders, and we're keen to hear from you. So we've set up a new research community called Your Media Matters. It's a place where you can share your views about programme or content ideas, podcasts and topical issues. We'd love you to join. To sign up, head to rnz.co.nz slash yourmediamatters. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.